Lazarus had a problem. He's one of the key figures in this seventh miraculous sign, and he had a problem. It wasn't a problem that Lazarus could fix with more education or a more positive mental attitude. Nor uh, could he address his problem uh, by just kind of running in better circles and having better friends. Lazarus had a problem. He was dead. Now, mind you, it was his only problem. It's the only problem he had. But because the only thing that was wrong with Lazarus is that he was dead, it didn't matter what else about him was right. He might have been a very clever guy, we don't know, but it didn't matter, he was dead. Lazarus might have been a very gifted guy, but it didn't matter, he was dead. He might have been a a very good guy morally, didn't matter, he was dead. Lazarus might have been a very rich man for all we know, but it didn't matter. He was dead, and to be dead cancels out everything else that might be right about you. Now, as I drive the roads and walk the streets of the Capitol District, I see people with a problem. They're dead. Oh, no, they're, they're breathing, they're, they're moving. They're physically alive, but spiritually, they're dead. Do you see them? You can see them all over. You can see them at the mall, at the school, in the neighborhood, in the office. Yes, in the church. Walking dead people, they are. Dude, is that even possible, you ask? Well, Scripture says so. In fact, would I shock you if I told you that the whole point of the good news that we proclaim is it's not about bad people becoming good. That's not what the gospel's about at all. It's about dead people coming alive. That's what the gospel's about. It's about receiving the life of God, new life in Christ. You see, according to the Bible, my natural condition and yours is that I'm born dead. I'm born separated from God. We were born that way. When Adam, when God said to Adam and Eve in the garden, you can do just about anything here, but there's one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're not to eat of that tree. And when Adam and Eve ate of that tree, the next morning God comes around in the garden, what does he find? Does he find that they automatically, immediately died? Did he find their corpses beneath the tree? No. No, they didn't immediately physically die, but immediately they were spiritually dead, separated from the life of God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in Adam all die. All of us were born in this condition. We were born with physical life, but a state of spiritual death. When Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says a similar thing here in Ephesians 2. 
As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So let me ask you, how do you like the good news so far? Aren't you excited? Aren't you just pumped that you came to church today to hear that? That we're dead in transgressions and sins. But it's true. And as a church, we have to keep it real. Paul says, look, Ephesians, there was a time when you were spiritually dead, but something has happened to you. God has made you alive. That's the essence of the gospel. That's what being a Christian is, being made alive in Christ. Lazarus had a problem. He was dead. But because that was the one thing wrong with him, anything that was right about him didn't really matter. And if the one thing that's wrong with me is that I'm spiritually dead, you see, it doesn't really matter what else is right about me. It doesn't matter how good you are. That's not the issue. The issue is not about being good. It doesn't matter how much you go to church. That's not the issue. It doesn't matter how religious you are, or how morally good you may be. That's not the issue. The issue is, are you alive in Christ? Have you received spiritual life? That's why I'm going to invite you at the end of this message to experience what it means to come alive and allow Christ to do a work in you and take you from spiritual death to spiritual life. I'll tell you more about that throughout the message, but I want you to be ready for that moment when I'm going to ask you all over this room and at all of our locations, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we spend a moment in prayer. Now, with that as a foundation, let's focus on three aspects of this seventh miraculous sign. Three aspects. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot some of these words down. First of all, the realities of a dead person. So think about it with me. What are some of the symptoms of being dead? Well, we don't know a lot about Lazarus. We know he lived in a little village named Bethany, which means house of figs. Apparently, they grew a lot of figs in that region. We do know he had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they lived together there, and Jesus would sometimes visit their home. They were friends of Jesus. But as far as we know, before he died, Lazarus had a normal, healthy appetite. But I wonder, during the four days he was in the tomb, I wonder how much he ate during those days. One of the symptoms of being dead is you have no appetite. I mean, did someone try to slip him a slice of pizza in there or a milkshake? Of course not, because one of the marks of being dead is you have no appetite. And one of the marks of spiritual death is the same. Now, by the way, I dare say that the vast majority of people in the Capital District have no appetite or interest in the things of God. And the reason is because they have no life. So it shouldn't surprise us at all if occasionally we hear somebody say, I'll tell you what, the last place you'd ever find me is in a church. Well, of course not. Of course not. 
because you have no life. Dead people have no appetite. The last place you'd find me is in a Bible study, I'll tell you that, or in some little small group where people are seeking out you. You won't find me there. Of course not. Dead people have no appetite. Now, it is possible, of course, for someone to have an appetite for church without having an appetite for God. Did you know that? Did you know there are a lot of reasons why people show an interest in church sometimes or or come to church? It may be that it's just a good social place for them, and they can meet folks and build a network. It may be that they hear a good song and kind of some toe-tapping music that they enjoy. It may be that it gives them a positive spiritual shot of good thinking as they get into their new week. There are lots of reasons people come to church. But when God begins to stir a person's heart and draw them to himself, one of the first things he does is create an appetite. For spiritual things. And you know what? Maybe that's the reason you're here. Maybe you're here with an anticipation and excitement in your heart. I met a young woman a few weeks ago. She said it was the third time she had been at church at Grace. And boy, her face told the story. I mean, literally, she was beaming. You know, people sometimes, their whole feeling, you can just tell what their soul is like. It just kind of comes out through their face, through their smile and their eyes. And this was her. And she said, I had no idea church could be so much fun. And then she said, and I'll never forget this statement, God is in this place. And you know what I believe? I believe God is doing a work in her life and giving her an appetite for spiritual things. And maybe that's you. Maybe the Holy Spirit is drawing you here because you long to know God. Well, you're in the right place. And again, I'm going to invite you at the very end of this message to stand to your feet and just remain standing there. And I'm going to invite you to pray a special prayer with me where you literally accept the very life of God. And I'm convinced that nobody's here by accident today. You're here by divine appointment. This may be your very day with Almighty God, the day that you receive the life of God and come alive to him spiritually. So a dead person has no appetite, but second, a dead person doesn't learn anything. You just don't learn anything. I mean, surely nobody would go to Lazarus' tomb and try to find a crack somewhere and say, hey, Lazarus, have you heard the latest news? Bethany beat Jerusalem three to two in soccer, man. It's awesome. Hey, Lazarus, have you filled out your brackets for March Madness? Do you know who's gotten into the tournament, buddy? No. A dead person doesn't learn anything. His curiosity died when he died, and that's true in the spiritual realm. Well, Lazarus was dead, so his sisters did a sensible thing. They sent for Jesus. But as you read this story, you find that by the time Jesus arrives, not only has Lazarus died, but he's actually been dead for four days, and they'd already placed him in the tomb. See, that was the custom. Unlike the Egyptians and some of the other cultures at the time, the Jewish people did not practice embalming their dead. 
And so their practice was to bury a person within 24 hours generally before the decay was obvious. And so when Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, heard that Jesus was coming, Martha ran out to meet him. And I want you to notice very closely here the way Martha reasoned with Jesus when she came to him. Verse 21. We're reading now from John 11, verse 21. It reads, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha's saying, Jesus, it's too late. Now notice, she's relating the power of God to the past. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But now it's too late, precisely four days too late. You know what I've noticed? Sometimes when God is stirring in a person's life and drawing her or him to himself, They sometimes do that same thing. They say things like, if only I had made this decision when I was a young person. Oh, if only before my life became a mess, I had done this. If only before I had married this person. But see, now it's going to be very difficult because I'm in this difficult situation. And it's all regrets over the past. They're relating and relegating the power of God to the past. That's what... Martha does here. If you had been here, Jesus, past tense, things would have been all right. And I want to tell you, I don't know if you've ever done that, but there is an awful hopelessness and sense of helplessness that comes to people when they've got all these regrets about the past. Trust me, God doesn't want us to live there. And yet that's what's bleeding through Martha's language. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. It's nice to see you, Jesus, but it's totally irrelevant now. It's too late. Verse 23 reads, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now notice what's happening here. Martha flips from past tense to future tense. She goes from regrets over the past to pining about what might be in the future. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day, but Jesus, that's a long, long time from now. And again, a common reaction among people that the Lord is drawing to himself is, well, you know, I'm not ready yet. One day, maybe, one day, I'll, I'll make a change. One day, I'll let the Lord in. But see, i got to sort this out and that out first. But, but one day in the future, Lord, trust me, I'm going to get serious about you. We can easily do that. But Jesus makes an amazing statement here, which is really the answer to the cry of every human heart. In verse 25, we read, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha's been talking past tense and future tense, but Jesus confronts her here in the present tense. Not I was, not I will be, but he says, I am. Martha, it may seem like it's too late for you, or you may get caught up in this pining and wishing for the future, but Martha, I am. It's not too late for me. 
I am the resurrection in the present tense. And I say to you today that the answer of Jesus Christ to every human heart, whatever your need is, the answer of Jesus Christ to every human heart is himself. One of my favorite parts, by the way, of this Gospel of John that we've been studying now for several weeks is that Jesus makes seven definitive I am statements that speak to the needs of every person. To those who are lost, he says, I'm the way. To those who are confused, Jesus says in this gospel, I am the truth. To those who are in darkness, he says, I am the light of the world. To those who are hungry, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. To those who feel shut out on the outside, he says, I am the door, the way by which you may enter into the fold. To those who are in need of direction and guidance, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I can guide you. And to those who are dead, Jesus says, I am the life. Those are the seven definitive I am declarations of Jesus. He is the answer to every human need. You got regrets about the past? You got pining about the future? Jesus says today, I am. And I would just say to you personally, whatever your history may be, I don't know what's happened. I don't, I don't know the, the story you could tell about what's gone on in your life, or, or I don't know what you anticipate for the future, whether good or bad, but I just want you to hear today clearly that we deal with a risen Christ who is eternally dealing in the present tense, and you can receive him today, and that's why I want to pray with you in just a few minutes. He says to her in verse 26, do you believe this? You see, Jesus forces us to answer personally. He presses the issue. We can't be neutral. We can't leave it in the realm of theory. We have to get engaged personally. Martha, do you believe this? He poses the question to her and to us. And in verse 27, it reads, Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. So we've considered the realities of a dead person, but briefly, I want to talk now about a second thing, the raising of a dead person, and I want to focus your attention now on verse 39. Now remember, Lazarus is in the tomb. It was like a cave hewn into the stone, and there was a stone, a large stone that was rolled across the entrance. But Jesus now in verse 39 probably shocks Martha when he says, take away the stone. Take away the stone. I want to do something. Martha, you said you believe. Then it's time to act on your belief. Verse 39, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there's a bad odor. I love the King James. He stinketh is what she says. You got to chuckle at that. Thank God for Elizabethan English sometimes. 
He stinketh, Lord. By this time, there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Jesus, <laughs> do you really know what you're asking? And you know what? When the Lord draws us and says, look, I want you to open the door of your life to me. I want you to take away the stone, as it were. You know, sometimes we go, are you serious? Do you, do you really want me to expose all that junk? Lord, it, it's, it's pretty rotten in there. I mean, do you really want me to get real about all that stuff hidden away in the dark recesses of my life? Do you know how long I've been bound to these things? Verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And verse 41 simply reads, so they took away the stone. Now I want to tell you, when you take away the stone, figuratively speaking, from your heart, that always takes courage. It takes faith and it takes courage to say to God, I'm going to confess all of this to you. I'm going to give you full access to my life. Lord, here it is. Now, as we've been studying in this Gospel of John, I've pointed out to you just about every week, and I think this is a critical lesson, that every time God does something fantastic, there's a command, and that command has to be obeyed. And this passage is no different. And I want to say to you personally that whenever God is ready to do a great work in your life, there always comes a moment of obedience where you have to make a choice. Am I going to obey God or not? And if you take away the stone, if you're willing <coughs> to expose the need, God will unleash his power. But make no mistake, that takes courage. And when we pray in just a few minutes, some of you, it'll be like you're standing and saying, yes, I, I will take away the stone. Lord, I'll open my life to you. I yield myself to whatever you want to do in my life. That's going to take courage on your part when you do that. And when you stand to your feet with many others in just a moment, that's going to take courage. Because in your own flesh, in your own insecurity, you're going to wonder, well, what will people think? You're going to wonder, what does all this mean? You're going to say to yourself, I've never done this before. Verse 41 reads, then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I... I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe, that they may believe that you sent me. You know, I've pointed out to you also that Jesus often in situations like this that are humanly impossible, you remember we've, we've seen some of them, Jesus often gave thanks to his Father. And he's saying in each of these situations, Father, I thank you that you're sufficient. And here, Father, I thank you that you're sufficient even in the face of death. Verse 43, and when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Isn't that ironic? 
I mean, come on. The one thing a dead person can't do is that. And yet, the exciting thing, according to Scripture, is that when God gives, oh, this is good, when God gives you or me a call, when he gives us a command, with the command is always the empowerment to do it. But the choice is still ours. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, faithful is he who calls you, and he will do it. Every time God calls us to something, he gives along with the call the assurance of the empowerment. And if you're hearing God calling you today by his spirit, he'll give you the power to respond. Thank God Lazarus responded. It says in verse 44, the dead man came out. He had received new life. And you can do that today. You can receive, in just a few minutes, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me, and you can receive the life of God. It's as though our job is to take away the stone and open up and give him full access as he speaks to the deadness and whatever may be inside. But that's going to take courage. But before we pray, I want us briefly to consider just one more aspect of this Story. We've seen the realities of a dead person. We've talked about the raising of a dead person. But now I want to briefly talk about the releasing of a living person. Because many of you at all of our locations have been listening to me so far, and you're going, yeah, I get it. That's, that's really what salvation is about, isn't it? It really is not about being a good person, turning over a new leaf, trying to have a positive mental attitude, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, trying to be clever. It's not about that. None of that matters when you're spiritually dead. It really is, isn't it, Pastor, about receiving the life of God. And you've been trekking along. But here's the reality for so many people at Grace. You are alive spiritually. You have received the life of God, and yet the truth is, if we're keeping it real, you're still bound up with the grave clothes. Let's read on. Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, catch this part now, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Now, I told you earlier that the Jewish people did not embalm like the Egyptians and other cultures, some of them did. But they did wrap carefully the body. That was the custom, just as with Christ, our Lord, when he was placed in the tomb. <coughs> and so here's Lazarus. He must have looked something akin to a mummy. It says his hands were wrapped. So he can't do anything constructive. His feet have been bound with these strips. And so he can't really make any progress. He must have been trying to hop out of the tomb. And then it says that he had this cloth around his face. That meant he couldn't really see properly. Yes, thank God, he was alive. But he was restricted to the trappings of the grave clothes. And wow, what a picture that is of so many Christ followers today. 
Jesus said in verse 44. He said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. One of my favorite phrases in all the King James Bible is the way it renders this. Loose him and let him go. Boy, that just rolls off the tongue. Loose him and let him go. He's alive now, wonderful. But loose him. He's got to be released from all these old relics of the old life that are hindering his progress and holding him back. I hurt for some of you. You've been made alive in Christ, but the truth of the matter is you're still stumbling around in a spiritual daze because you're all bound up with hurts, habits, hang-ups of the past that are just getting you stuck and keeping you from making any spiritual Progress. You've never deliberately, willfully stripped off the grave clothes, the things of the old life that hinder you. You see, when we come to Christ, it means that we begin to change. We begin to cooperate with the grace of God in our lives, and we replace the grave clothes with the clothing that equips us to live this new abundant life that he designed us for. Some of you, if we could be brutally honest, if we were just being brutally honest, like you would be with your best friend of the world, perhaps, you'd have to say, boy, I don't enjoy the Christian life. It's a drag for me, buddy. I gotta be honest. It is just horrible. Of course it is. You're never gonna enjoy the Christian life if you're still bound up with grave clothes. That's one of the worst existences in the world. And yet that's where some of us find ourselves. Lazarus had a problem. But I want you to think about what has happened here literally in a matter of moments. He's gone from death to life. He's gone from being depressed and restrained by grave clothes to being suddenly active and free. He's gone from being dead and depressed to downright dangerous as an agent for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I desperately want for you. And that's what Jesus wants for you. And so there are two groups of people that I'm going to ask to stand to your feet in just a moment. And please hear this. I want you to ask to stand at exactly the same time. Here are the two groups. I want you to stand to your feet. If God is drawing you, and if you're ready to pray this prayer, I want you to stand to your feet in just a moment. I'm going to say the words, take away the stone, and I'm going to ask you to stand with courage right where you are. And then I'm going to pray a prayer first with you, and you're going to invite Jesus Christ to come in and to take away all that deadness and all the detritus of death, and to give you new life in him. That's the first group I'm going to pray with. And then the second group will all be standing together. I'm going to pray for those of you who are already spiritually alive. You really are. You get the gospel. You've, you've received Christ. But the truth of the matter is, there's some stinking old grave clothes that are hindering your progress. And so here's what I'm going to do. I just want you to know in advance it's going to take courage. 
I'm going to pray against addictions. I'm going to pray a targeted prayer for you. I'm going to pray with dozens of people, I believe, that will stand in this room at all of our locations. I'm going to pray against habits and lifestyles and resentment and unforgiveness that is poisoning you and keeping you from experiencing the abundant life. I had a funny thought this week. It occurred to me that sometime later this month, actually on the 21st of this month, I hadn't even thought of this until just a couple of days ago, and I mentioned it to Debbie when I thought of it, I will have been preaching the gospel for 40 years. I had not even thought of that until just a, <laughs> praise God, yeah. It's amazing that I've lasted, I'll tell you that. 40 years I will have been preaching this gospel. Started when I was 15 years old and have preached the gospel just consistently. What a privilege. What a, how good God has been to me. But I have never done this in my life, what I'm about to do. I've never in my life said, take away the stone and ask people with that prompt to courageously stand to their feet and open their lives to God. But I'm going to ask you to do that. So when I give that prompt, I'm going to say, take away the stone. I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready to just explode to your feet. Two kinds of people are going to stand at the same time. And some of you need to receive the life of Christ for the first time. And many others of you will stand right at the same time and you're standing to say, the day has come for me to take away the grave clothes. All those things that are hindering me. And I want prayer, Pastor, that God would free me up from this bondage. Are you ready? Are you ready to pray? Are you ready to stand? If God is drawing you, if God is prompting you to stand, I want you to be ready. So here, here it is. If God is drawing you, I'd ask you to respond to these words. Here they are. Take away the stone. If God is drawing you, you stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Now, Father, I believe by faith that at all of our congregations, there are people who by faith and with great courage are standing right now. Father, I want to pray first with that group right now that has never opened their life to you. And so I'm going to ask you, if that's you, dear friend, that you would pray this prayer along with me. Would you just pray it silently right where you are? And God is going to meet you in a powerful way. Pray this prayer with me. Oh, God, I know that I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying for me that I could have life in you. Please forgive my sin, adopt me into your family, and begin to change me from the inside out. And Lord, I just want to pray for everyone who's opened their life to you right now. I ask that you would seal them and keep them as only you can. Thank you for the new life that you give. But I want to pray now for all those who are standing. And the truth is, there's a lot of bondage. The truth is, there's just a lot of things that are hindering us, even seeing clearly. And so we may have spent, my goodness, it may have been years 
stumbling around in a spiritual daze. And the time has come for the Lord to say, loose him, loose her. It's time for them to go free. So I want to pray right now for you. And I'm just going to pray this prayer. I'm not going to ask you to repeat it after me, but I just want to pray a focused prayer. And I've been praying all week that God would use this moment as a moment when many are set free. Father, would you help those right now that are bound up in resentment over things of the past? I pray for my brothers and sisters. They know you. They love you. And yet, Lord, some of them are struggling so much with unforgiveness. I ask this, this would be a moment of release and help them to understand that forgiveness and trust are totally different issues, but you can empower them right now to forgive. Father, I pray for those that have addictions of one kind or another. I ask, Lord, you would teach them not to resist temptation, but to refocus, to refocus and show them that glorious thing that they can refocus their attention on and pour their energy into as you give them the victory. Father, I pray against apathy right now. Apathy is epidemic, Lord. And I ask that in Jesus' name, you would strip away the grave clothes of apathy where people just kind of have a whatever attitude as though nothing really matters. God, I pray especially right now for those that are just discouraged because in many ways, that's the most dangerous grave clothing of all. Just to be so discouraged that you feel incarcerated and unable to even move. Lord, I believe that plagues many Christians. I pray against that, Lord, that this would be a day of liberation, a day where you would breathe your enthusiasm into them and they would come alive truly in you. Father, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for these miraculous signs and that your power is unleashed when we truly obey. You are such a good God. And we honor you and praise you today in Jesus' name. And all of God's people agreed and said, amen and amen. God bless you. Please be seated for just a moment.